Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. We have an incredible podcast, very insightful on many fronts on this episode with Justin Dedman, who is currently the hitting coach at Miami of Ohio. Um, They're in the MAC conference, beautiful facilities, uh, great campus, and Justin takes us through his own thoughts on hitting, how to develop hitters, the mental game, recruiting, why you need to recruit to your own ballpark. It's really, really cool to be able to uh, sit down and have a conversation with someone who has a ton of experience. Justin's coached at, like I said, every level of college baseball except for junior college, and he's also been a head coach too. So he really understands the game of baseball. He understands situational hitting, you know, plate discipline, swing decisions, mental game, everything into one. And I think a lot of people are going to get out of this episode some really good, insightful tips. I'd like to thank our sponsor for the podcast, which is Axbat. If you head on over to axbat.com and type in code PJBBCORE20, you'll receive 20% off any BB Core Axbat. So head on over to axbat.com, type in code PJBBCOR20 for 20% off any Axbat. Longtime listeners of the podcast know I'm a huge Axbat fan, been using it even when I was playing back in the Pecos League. So head on over there if you're interested in getting an Axe Bat and type in that coupon code, you get 20% off. I'll put the link in the show notes in case you you didn't get that. And this is going to be a fun episode. I'm I'm just telling you right now, um, I was jacked up when we were doing this episode. I I was talking to Justin for a few hours on the phone, and uh, we could have talked all day long. I mean, he's just very, very insightful about the game. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Justin Dedman. All right, Justin, we're now live, man. Um, Appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Patrick. I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts, and uh, I'm certainly grateful for the opportunity. No, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, actually, one of my buddies with the Orioles, Matt Packer, Turned me on to your website a little bit, uh, hittingmental.com. I was I've been reading up on some of the articles and uh, following you on Twitter for a little bit now. And you put out some really good content, man. And I also like how you're at Miami of Ohio right now, but you've all you've kind of you've been at every level essentially of college baseball, right? Yeah, except for junior college, uh, I played Division three baseball at Denison University, and then was an assistant coach and then a head coach there. Uh, I was a volunteer assistant at Austin P, and then a director of baseball operations at Ole Miss, and then was an assistant coach at Lee University in Tennessee. In the first three years, we were an NAI team, and then we transitioned to Division II. So we had two years as a conference D2 member, but a postseason National Christian College Athletic Association member, uh, which is a mouthful, I know. But uh, then we moved to Division II full-time, and uh, I came up here to Miami about three, three and a half years ago. Do you feel that the competition between the Division One level and the other, the lower levels, um, there's not a, as big of a gap as there used to be? Would you say that's is that true? That's a great question. Uh, you know, my my perspective would only be since I guess about '05 when I graduated college and, and starting to think about the landscape. Uh, 
I think that there are different tiers of every division. You know, Division Three has 400 teams. Division One has 300 teams. So if you look at the top 50 teams in Division Three, they're really good teams. If you look at the top 10 teams in NAI, I, I think that they could beat almost any team in the country. Um, you know, at, at any level because of the talent and the skill that those guys have. So you can find big time talent certainly at every level, and um, I, I'm not sure the gap between any of them, but it. It's at the highest level inside of each. It, it feels relatively close. I would just say it feels to me like the depth at the highest level of Division One baseball is the separating factor. It's not just frontline talent, but it's the depth. You've been a head, head coach in college and, and now an assistant too. What what, is, what what are the differences? Do you feel less less pressure now as an assistant versus a head coach? <sighs> Man. Good stuff. I think pressure is pretty relative to just what you focus on. So I think you could feel the pressure as a head coach or as an assistant coach if you chose to focus on the wrong things. But for me, I think if you're great at anything that you do, that you create your own pressure because your care factor and your love for your environment and for your people. So if you want to be excellent, you're always pushing yourself and trying to get better every day, every month, every opportunity, trying to get your kids better. You're driving home thinking about uh, what you do, you're you're waking up on fire for what you do, and uh, you just kind of have this burning desire to to be excellent. So, um, I don't think we focus on pressure too much, but you know, I think that uh, there are definitely environments where if you've got people calling for your head and calling for your job, it that that probably can only create fear and pressure for you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I like how you phrase that. Um, before we start recording. Uh, one of the, the things that I, I said I was going to bring up and and what was going to just ask you about maybe on the air is I've had a couple other coaches on who are, are hitting coaches or coordinators now and they used to be a manager or, or head coach and, and I've asked them that this question too and so I want to ask you because you're a, a really good hitting coach and you've also been a head coach do you feel that you're a, a better hitting coach now because you've been a, he a head coach in the past? Second crack at answering this, I think that my attention to detail is different as a hitting coach than it would have been uh, prior to having been a head coach if I hadn't had that opportunity. But I think the biggest difference is, is not necessarily in coaching hitters. It's in just being an assistant and trying to take things off the head coach's plate, having a grasp of all of the things he's dealing with that you cannot see that are off the field things and how much time and energy that takes. Uh, I love being an assistant coach, uh, having the opportunity to have done both. And I think that there are just different opportunities inside of that. So it's just giving me, I think, more of a respect for the person that I work for. And then secondarily, um, probably, you know, keeps me focused on my task and really appreciating where my feet are. How do you like recruiting? Because uh, as an assistant coach, I'm sure you're on the road a good amount. I love it. Uh, we've not been on the road since this whole thing started. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, got to throw that out there. But yeah, it's, uh, it, I think if you're going to be great at baseball, you have to be you know, competent in recruiting because it's, that's the lifeblood as everybody says, uh, because you, you can't, you know, outperform uh, really the, the skill or the talent you have on the roster. So um, we've got to bring in great players and we've got to bring in great people. So it, it's a lot of fun to, you know, it's, um, it's getting to know people, it's building relationships, it's, um, you know, business models and trying to maximize every dollar. Uh, there's a lot of creativity involved, which I think is one of the most fun and interesting aspects of it. There's no one way to do it, and every institution is different. So it, it's really, I think it's fun 
Um, and when you're actually on the, on the recruiting trail, evaluation is probably um, one of the easier parts, even though it's not easy. Uh, I, I would just say it's certainly the most fun part. You're just sitting there watching baseball all day and you get to, you get to watch whatever you want to watch. And I think that the, the good ones, they maximize their time. They look at ESPN.com on their phone less than others when they're there at the ballpark. They're, they're prepared so they don't have to leave the ballpark. They're paying attention to body language and how coaches and players interact so that you can get to know the organization, not just the players. Um, and so you can trust what you're getting. I think room for error and uh, creating high levels of confidence so you can you know, kind of have lots of opportunities for success um, is really, I think, where the efficiency is at. So it's a ton of fun. Um, yeah. A lot of reasons to love it. What is your philosophy on, on recruiting? And what I mean by that is I know at, at the professional level or even other sports too, some, they, they have a, a positional need, right? So, you know, you have an, a center fielder that graduates or a first baseman. So they go out on the road and they try and, and recruit and find um, um, that first baseman to fill that void. And then there's other programs who they just they're just trying to find the best players and they'll just fit them in as mm -hmm. as is. What what is your um, philosophy? Well, I think that philosophies can shift. Number one, so I don't want to say that we have one singular uh, model or philosophy. I think you have to be flexible because kids develop at different speeds than you thought. Sometimes way faster. Sometimes uh, you know at a more modest rate. So uh, we we. We believe we've got to win at home. We've got to win our ballpark. We've got to win in our league first. And, you know, we've got, uh, you know, a very fair and true ballpark. It's not really offensive like a, a lot of college ballparks out there. So you've got to have guys that really play defense. Uh, you've got to have guys that can really run. Um, there are a lot of opportunities to score in our field with really fast turf and big gaps. So, you know, we like athletic players uh, like everybody does we're pretty relentless in not recruiting guys that are not good at defense. We want everybody to be a skilled defender. That's probably not rocket science either. Uh, but I think your, your willingness uh, to stick with that type of plan uh, is important so that you don't, you know, get uh, distracted by the, the big bat and that's all he can do. And if you do that a couple of times, you end up having spent money on somebody that doesn't have a spot to play because the other guy's playing uh, or he has less flexibility to develop, which is a big part. You know, if he can't get on the field because of somebody else that's just a hitter, you know, a young man that you really need to be a guy later on hasn't developed the same way. So I think um, those types of things are some of the bigger picture things that we think about rather than just pigeonholing players, um, you know, into it has to be like this or has to be like that. I'm sure it's got to be tough with uh, the time restriction in college baseball to – develop all these hitters because it, it's just you it's just one hitting coach I know there's a volunteer too and mm -hmm. that could change from from year to year but for the most part like you're you're in charge how do you how do you organize player development for your own own hitters when you only have so much time and you have so many hitters well this may seem like a deflection but we we've got to have players that take ownership of their own careers and that starts in recruiting and communicating that to them we don't want guys who want to be spoon fed everything. We want guys who come with conversations, come with opinions and are willing to, uh, willing to grow. Uh, we've got four coaches who have experienced coaching hitters, our head coach, uh, 
our, our volunteer assistant, Coach Hess. Obviously, Coach Hayden has been, but Coach Hess has been a head coach at a very high level as well. And uh, Coach Forney, our director of baseball operations. So all these guys have conversations, uh, you know, together uh, with me about hitting. And we, we just kind of work together to get the offense as good as we can get them. But if we've got guys, players, that are really excited about uh, their own development, their own career, then they're working at a really fast rate. Even when I aren't, I'm not speaking directly to them, uh, they're taking information and driving their own bus. Gotcha. That makes sense. And before, before we move on uh, past the recruiting topic, you know, I, I don't know, I don't think you would remember this at all. Actually, I'd, I would be in shock, but we've actually met before in person. Um, you were recruiting grand, in Grand Park, and I was coaching a summer baseball team a couple of years ago. And, and the reason why I do remember you is because there wasn't a bunch of division one coaches there, but you were one of them. And, you know, I think you asked for a roster sheet and then you asked some questions about each, about some of the players and you, you just, you gave off a lot of humility and you didn't talk down, even though I was just some random summer baseball coach from nobody. And the reason why I bring that up too is, I'm not going to say the guy's name or the guy's or the school he's at, but there was another guy who was the same scenario a couple minutes later. And he talked down like he was God's gift to earth and just grabbed the sheet and just walked away. And so, um, you know, kudos obviously to you to, you know, treating everyone just the same, no matter if they are some random coach in the summer uh, doing, doing it just for the heck of it. Um, and then, or if it is someone who's, you know, a big league hitting coach. Uh, I, I believe you, we've got one opportunity to make a first impression and you, how you do anything, how you do everything. So for me, you know, I was a division three baseball player uh, that was paying attention to the highest level of, of baseball and whoever was winning championships and all that kind of stuff. And uh, over time in coaching, I became very quickly turned off by anybody the quote highest levels of baseball that had a really negative attitude or a dismissive attitude towards people that they didn't perceive to be at the same level. Uh, maybe that comes from the chip on the shoulder of being a D3 player, but um, just generally, I think treating people the right way is the single most important thing we do. And obviously today's Jackie Robinson day. And it's one of my favorite quotes is a Jackie Robinson quote that a uh, life is not important except for the, um, I'll paraphrase impact that makes on other people. So, um, you know, I just think that's the right thing to do. And I would hope that um, I could do, do the same to others that you would want to do to you, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, I can't have you on the podcast and, and not talk about a little bit of the mental game since your, your Twitter handle is at hitting mental. Um, and I've, I've read up on your website too. There's some, there's some really good content on there. What got you into the mental game so much? I know it's so important in baseball, but it's, it's not a sexy topic to, topic to talk about. Uh, I will try to be concise on this, which is uh, sometimes a challenge for me, but uh, I became a left-handed hitter my sophomore year of college after having only messed around with it. So it took me kind of three years to figure out what in the world I was doing. And then once I had some things figured out uh, from a physical standpoint, uh, it, it, things actually clicked for me in terms of offensive success my senior year when uh, I took ownership of you know, my mindset and my mentality, and it, it was born out of frustration and kind of rock bottom. Uh, but I, I certainly recognized post-career that that was what made me a better hitter uh, was 
not worrying about failure and being much focused on things I could control. Um, and then I think as a coach, I was, I was a really bad young coach uh, from a mental game standpoint. I was trying to figure out how everything worked and wasn't really obsessed about any one or two things. When I got to Ole Miss, um, you, you know, I, I kind of saw a lot of my own flaws coming out in coaching and got to, a chance to meet Brian Kane, uh, who, of course, is uh, kind of a nationally renowned mental game guy now who learned directly from Kendra Vizza, who's, of course, one of the godfathers of the mental game in baseball. And you know, the, the six months as I, I was at Ole Miss really exposed for me a lot of my own weaknesses in teaching the mental game. And I became, of course, obsessed with it. And, you know, Coach Brew was very interested in the mental game at Lee University. He's an awesome coach. He'll be in the Hall of Fame when he's done coaching, no doubt about it. And we just worked together to create a good mental game plan for our guys at Lee. And we just kind of carried that forth as something that's really important to us. So um, I think it's important to most coaches, but then most importantly, it's, it's not what you say. It's kind of where the action is or what you do or how you make it, you know, baked in to your process every day that really makes it real. So we hold each other accountable in our, in our staff now at Miami and trying to do an excellent job of having it baked into every practice, every training environment. I think that gives us you know, a better shot than we would have otherwise. How do you put it into um, a practice environment on a daily basis? Because I, I know like on, on your website, when you were at Lee, it says, you know, you had the, the lineup card on the left and then your mental ABs lineup on the right. And then the non-starters would, would practice and go through their routine in the, on the, in the hole on deck and, and their pre-AB routines um, just as everyone else would. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm clearly we didn't invent any of this stuff. We're just stealing from from smarter, more experienced people. But mental ABs are big as a part of competition for guys to have gotten to the plate in a pinch hitting or a a Sunday start opportunity where they didn't play before that, and feeling confident, feeling prepared, feeling like they've gone through at bats uh, mentally. Um, you know, the the mental game gurus would say that uh, the mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. Uh, it's experience either way. So if we can imagine and visualize and go through those reps, it, it gives us more reps than we would have had in actual uh, participation. So that's where those come from. But I think more importantly, even than those, it, it starts inside of you know practice um, and training. We, we, if the game is going to have an average of a pitch every 15 seconds, we want to have a very similar type of structure where guys aren't hitting for cardio and taking rounds of 15 uh, or where not that we don't want the heart rate elevated. We do. We train for that. So guys have to take control of themselves when they're sped up, but we want guys to have super intentional reps. So we don't allow our guys to have more than five or six reps in, in any round. And, you know, they would tell you, we, we get them out of the cage when we see that seventh rep. Um, and sometimes that's after two really bad swings and they <laughs> deal with that, which is what the game is going to dictate. So, we just try, we're, we're trying to, to work smart and create an environment uh, which probably has more failure than, than many guys would love, but that's going to very uh, similarly mirror the game so that they, when they get to the game, they've dealt with thousands of times how to handle their thoughts, their feelings, emotions, and just go to the plate and compete with whatever they've got. That's good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I like that. And when, it, when you come to when it, when it comes to talking about challenging hitters in practice and uh, not getting, not doing cardio, I, I totally agree with that. One of the thing, one of the coaches I had talked to said that they've eliminated one more 
nobody's allowed to say ever say one more anymore and i'm guilty of it too in the cage and a player just says you know one more right before i remember like in spring training this year we'd have an inner squad and so we'd sometimes would throw to the players right before and so I, I would give in sometimes and, and give them one more just so they would feel good going out there. But you bring up a great point, right? You shouldn't have to feel good to play good. I mean, and you're going to fail so much in the game. So you got to, you got to practice like that. So maybe I do need to, to be a little more strict around that going forward. Well, I'll say to your credit, it is a balance and it's something that I go back and forth on every day in our training environment, trying to feel out where each player is. This guy needs more confidence uh, in his process. This guy needs more challenge. This guy's red hot today, but let's keep him red hot. This guy's red hot today, and he's been red hot for a few days. You know, what, let's give him some adversity. And um, we're, we're, we're constantly evolving and trying to improve how we do that. What, um, what, are, what are your thoughts and philosophies when it, when it comes to um, creating individualized hitting plans. And I know that's a huge topic right now. It's the hot thing. And I'll be honest, I sometimes go back and forth because I think who am, who am I to tell a player what drills he should be doing that's going to help him and know for sure when hitting is, is – there's so many variables that go in. One, It's not really the drill. It's how the player interprets the drill first off. Um, just what, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, we're, we're having a more individualized model this year than probably ever before in my career. And, and, and just because I, we're trying to be more conscious of you know, giving the players, especially with an experienced offense, giving the players uh, more autonomy and, and um, you know, feeling like they're working on things that they're passionate about so they can develop. And I think one of the faults for me in my career has been trying to make or help every hitter become the singular best hitter on the field. And when some guys just need to, they just need to be able to say the first three letters of the alphabet before we, you know, force them, force them to force them to regurgitate the whole song. You know, we, you got to play the first few notes in a song before you can, you know, know the whole symphony. So um, we're going to do a better job of that this year. I'm excited about that. Uh, one of the ideas I've been working through is, uh, you know, trying to create like a, a karate black belt type system for batting practice where we've got some really challenging drills and then we've got some really fun drills and then we've got some really easy confidence building drills and not everybody needs all those at the same time. But if guys can graduate you know, from one belt to the next, they have to master certain areas and it doesn't make any sense in my mind to, to force guys to be really good at being line to line hitters, uh, you know, super early in their career, really there's, they need to, work at being excellent at their zone, whatever their hot zone is, being excellent at attacking fastballs on time. If you can't drive fastballs in the air on time inside of your hot zone, what are we doing, right? Yeah. So why am I making a guy take or uh, work on adjustability with breaking balls until he masters that skill? So I'm looking forward to that this year. I hope our guys are going to be excited about that. I, I think it'll be, uh, it'll probably create even more confidence and you know, I don't know what the answer is going to be to it, but I think we've got a lot more room for improvement inside of our offensive program. And I'm looking forward to helping, you know, pull that out of the guys. You mentioned hot zone there. This is, this is another thing that's pretty cool with us. Some of the technology that's out there and some of the stuff's been out there too with TrackMan. but how do you, how do you get a player to really be great at what they're good at and understand swing decisions um which is I was listening to um actually I wasn't my buddy was listening to the Giants game the other day and they brought on Barry Bonds 
And he said, before you even talk to me about mechanics, like, we got to be swinging at the right pitches first. And he's 100% correct, obviously. So how do we get, get players to swing at, at those right those pitches? Yeah. One of the things that really knocked me upside of the head a couple of years ago was hearing Andy McKay describe how if you take major league all-stars, the Trouts, the Yelichs, um, you know, the, the Lindors, and you put them in neutral counts, like 1-1 one, one counts or 0-0 counts, <clears throat> and you give them uh, pitches on the fringe of the zone or outside of the zone, they have some of the worst, you know, OPSs and woke mm-hmm. in, the major, in the major league, some of the worst. And if you take the guys with the lowest OPSs and weighted on base averages and you put them in fastballs or off-speed pitches in the heart of the zone, they have Hall of Fame numbers. Whoa. And he just talks about, um, you know, the, the strike zone as the line of scrimmage in baseball, both for pitchers and hitters. So I think, you know, kind of creating that why and that level of importance for the guys first. Our guys are very bright. Uh, they, they want to know why. They deserve to know why. And so I think it starts there for them. And then reverse engineer that all the way to daily practice they have to have accountability that when they're doing soft toss or seated overhand or anything, when they expand the zone, they've got to have this almost like negative feeling, like a slap on the wrist to themselves and then get refocused on the next pitch. But there's got to be this, this feeling, this accountability every time they expand the zone and the balance there, I think, because a lot of players will then out of fear, they might try and wait as long as possible to see the baseball. And now we're kind of in maybe, maybe yes, or maybe, maybe no mentality on our swings. And that, that's no way to hit, especially with any velocity. So we've got to get guys to train with the yes, yes mentality that is a late take. Um, and then just continue to train. It's got to start with a slow stimulus and, and continue to speed them up. And if it's an everyday thing and it's baked in like we talked about, I think it's going to become a big part of who they are. Do you think um, doing like the six ball cross and, and having players call out what number, uh, do you think that that helps? We have done that and we do that. And I think that for some of our players, it helps them a lot. I think for some of our players, it doesn't help them at all. And that's something that took me some time to realize. And I, I believe from some, some questions I've been asking to some, you know, high level pro guys is hitters don't typically hit by where the ball crosses the plate, right? They hit by a tunnel the ball comes out of or how early they can decide that this is a good pitch to hit. And for for many hitters, that's not until the pitch is like 48 feet out of the pitcher's hand or 52 feet out of the pitcher's hand, depending upon, you know, vision and all the things that go into that. Uh, So we've got to train guys with different tunnels. They've got to see, you know, if we're working on just a a breaking ball, they know the breaking ball is coming. So the difficulty of, you know, deciding what to swing at or not becomes pretty simple. They can focus on, okay, I know the shape of this breaker. Now, when it comes out of this tunnel, and this isn't like an active thought process, but it's something that just becomes something that they realize almost subconsciously. When it comes out of this tunnel, it's going to be, you know, high in arm side, and as a righty, it might hit me. When it comes out of this tunnel, it's going to snap out of the zone, and I've got no shot to stay through it. But here's kind of the sweet spot when this shape of a breaking ball pops up. And so I think that's part of why we have to work on a lot of different uh, angles and shapes of breaking balls uh, and velocities as well uh, for guys to 
have enough experience to make good decisions on pitches that have a lot of movement. And I would say the same thing about fastballs with movement or different spin spin profiles. Yeah, you bring you bring up a good point about how it's not it is not gonna it's not gonna work for everyone. Um, one of my buddies, um, George Foster, I said this the other day said, you know, back when he was playing with the Reds, the big red machine, they would sometimes be able to get, they got the signs from um, somehow the pitcher was either tipping the pitches or whatever. They got the signs. And he said, flat out, I don't want to know. I do not tell me. I I can't do that. I'm a reactionary type of hitter. He said, Pete Rose was the same way, but he said, Johnny bench. If you told Johnny bench, what pitch was coming, he hit a home run every time. Like he would just crush balls. So that's the hard part about being a hitting coach, right? Is you just, you can't implement one thing for everyone. Yeah. And, and to that note, like, I, I don't think that that is, uh, uh, there's an ego inside of me that hates that type of a conversation where somebody doesn't want to know what pitch, but I also understand as, as a, just a person, like where that comes from, they're afraid of being wrong. They're afraid of the coach being wrong. They're afraid of the player telling the pitch what's wrong. So I think, how do you eliminate fear through training, through, through experiences and, that can change their belief system. If we give them enough training experiences and in knowing what pitch is coming, if we work on pitch tipping, then our guys should create more confidence in it. And that doesn't ultimately mean that every player is going to get super bought into it. But if you have seven guys in the lineup who, when you know what pitch is coming, they want to know it. Well, you're what you're way better off because typically three or four of those guys aren't going hot right now, or that pitcher's really good. You know, if, if the pitcher's not excellent, we probably don't need to tip all the pitches, you know, so all those things I think are considerations and I think it's got to be an open conversation with a team and, and then individually with players too, to, uh, to help them grow. You know, um, I would say the same thing as kind of a metaphor. If you're awesome at hitting the fastball and you have confidence in the fastball and you have no shot to hit breakers, you should probably only swing at fastballs. And anytime you see spin, take it. Yeah. And you need to work on adjustability or hunting breaking balls in your, practice training. Right. It's not one or the other. I think it's both. So now I can be confident in game, but also improve in training. That's good stuff right there. I like that. I like that a lot. What about situational hitting? You know, yeah, I, I rarely, rarely will hear maybe like uh, Jerry Weinstein or some legend. will talk about some situational hitting, but for the most part on online, I, you don't see too much of it. I've seen Joey Votto just be in Cincinnati. He's mentioned over the years, but it seems it is a little bit uh, overlooked now. Do you guys work on that? Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, you know, I think we've got to put runners on base in different out situations, different count situations, and then talk with guys about what we're trying to accomplish and then let them roll. Uh, you know, we don't have to set up every situation, but give them a scenario, change the scenarios, and talk them through and, and listen to what they have to say and what decisions they made or what they're trying to accomplish. Um, you know, that that's a good way to train it. We've, we've got a drill that Coach Hess brought uh, just this past year called Route 440. Uh, one of our players told us in his postseason eval that he loved that Route 64 drill, Route 65 drill, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but Route 440, just honestly couldn't tell you where the name came from with Coach Hess, but uh, it's just a situational hitting drill, and it's, it's timed, and when you don't execute one, you, you run around the infield, right? So if you go drag bunt, execute awesome if you don't you run around the infield and you come back you do drag bunt again and you execute drag bunt now you've got a hit and run now you've got a you know score them on the ground score in the air and we don't accept one that's not the other right and all the while you've got your team absolutely berating you with you know 
taunts and energy and screaming so that whether you've run around the infield or whether you just have your teammates yelling at you, you've got a lot of fun energy and speeding your heart rate up and distracting you. So it's not just this simple, here's my fastball. There's a lot more going on. Um, so again, trying to create an environment that's not just execute the skill with the pitch you know is coming, but it's a, put a lot of distractions in for the players and you know really challenge the mind. And the first time we did it, it was brutal, right? <laughs> it's brutal. Like very low execution, lots of running around the infield, lots of kids pissed off. Um, and then each time we did it, it got better and better. And I loved it so much that you know, we're going to make it a, a weekly batting practice routine for us uh, this year. So uh, really excited about that. Again, I think it's, it's important with any type of drill, this one being situational, of course, that it's something that you do regularly. And the way we had done it before Coach S came was we had it as a part of batting practice rounds. And that's what I was uh, experienced doing with Coach Brewett Lee and at Denison before that. Uh, but I really like this drill where the whole thing is situations. What about a two-strike approach? I know it's different. I had, had a Coach Williams down at University of Kentucky. He, uh, he talked a little bit about, you know, two-strike approach and how important it is down there and, and how they work on it every single day. Um, and then you, you hear of other, other programs where it's, you know, they don't want anything to change with two strikes because they don't want hitters, you know, mentally chasing too, too, too many things outside the zone. Hmm. Um, what, what are your beliefs? Well, we, uh, I think most teams would probably know what we do with two strikes, but, I, you know, without, you know, talking too specifically about it, we, we believe that, you know, 70% of pitches with two strikes are going to happen as fastballs uh, out of the plate or off the plate away, elevated fastballs, and then off speed away or down. And that 30% of the pitches executed are going to be inside pitches, uh, whether an intentional fastball or backed up off speed. If it's a backed up off speed, it's gonna be pretty easy to cover. Um, you know, we, we have a, a, a really strong hit by pitch mentality inside of our program. And so, um, you know, guys are, are, are very aware and good at that. And if you miss off the plate inside, our guys are going to be on first base and now putting pressure on you with the base stealing game and um, obviously 270 feet away from scoring. So um, that's a big part of two strikes is being willing to take the HPPs as it is in any count. Uh, but it gives you confidence in seeing the ball deeper and out over the plate. Uh, but we don't, all of our guys don't necessarily have the exact same two strike approach in every single counter, every single pitch either. And we give them some of that freedom and especially with the older hitters and teach them, you know, when and how, and kind of, you know, when you've had four or 600 college at bats, you've got some pretty good experience yeah. and resources to know what guys are trying to do to you because of who you are or because of how pitchers pitch in general. And that gives you a distinct advantage, I think, to kind of manipulate your approaches even with two strikes. So I take it since you guys are big on um, HBP, you got a bunch of Evo shields, everyone on elbow guard, everything. We are not the elbow guard all the time. We don't look like Barry Bonds at the plate. <laughs> We, we've got some guys that do wear the Evo shields, which um, I like because we want them to stay healthy. I think we took 89 and 87 HPPs in 2018 and 2019, the last two full seasons. and didn't have one guy get hurt um, wow. I just, because they, they, they know how to take it. They practice how to take HPPs like a lot of programs do. And, you know, when pitchers miss, we want to be on base and we want to create that fear of them missing inside. And, you know, we also want our guys to be super confident that they're going to be healthy. So all those things, I think, work together. It's all about the guys being confident in what they're doing. 
What, what are your uh, uh, thoughts on mechanics? Uh, I think that they're probably the fifth or sixth most important thing. I agree. In, in hitting. Um, but also, you know, you, what we want to train is we want to train hitters that have more than one type of swing. And so we do less focusing on the swing uh, and try to have specific individual plans for their body movement and improving how they move, whether it's just being more efficient or getting into the ground or working on adjustability. And those are all things that have to do with how they move. And every body is different. Um, it's really cool to see on base U and you know, K-Vest and all those things really come to the forefront of baseball in the last two, three years. I, I think it's going to make hitters better if they do it the right way. And you know, aren't, aren't focused on that as number one, but, um, yeah, I think, I think most, um, I'll say this, I spent a lot of my time in coaching from 22 to 28, trying to master the swing and teaching the elite swing pattern. And, um, you know, I think those are some big faults early on. Uh, but I think that's for a lot of young players, what they're trying to focus on too. There's this evolution when they're 15 to 18, they're trying to master the swing. And, and it makes sense because their bodies are changing every day. They're learning how to move. You know, some of them are 16-year-olds that look like they're 20, and some of them are 16 that look like they're 13. And their bodies are going to change every day until they probably get to professional baseball, you know? So I think that's part of the reason why feel for your body comes so late, functional strength and awareness of your movement. And if we can just teach guys to have consistent uh, movement, that that's a good, good place to be. Balance, obviously, is, is the most important part, I think, of mechanics. Um, and then from there, if we're really good at teaching them approaches and timing, that they'll probably have the best mechanics the most consistently. I was reading on your website earlier, and, and one of the things that you brought up, which is a great point, was the weather and how that should change the approach. And I think maybe even mentioned like the swing type. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Well, in relation to the swing type and weather, uh, for me, I think it's about your timing and your ball flight, you know, what you're trying to create. If, at, at McKee, if it's warm, the wind blows out. If it's cold, the wind goes from left to right, um, about 75%, and then a quarter comes straight in. So you know, I remember Landon Stevens <clears throat> hit a ball about 500 feet off uh, uh, about uh, from uh, the right-handed pitcher, uh, Jameson, Dre Jameson for Ball State. It was a grand slam that went about 310 feet because of the weather, because of the wind. And, you know, there's some things you just can't control. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. You're just trying to get the barrel to it. But relatively speaking, when it's when the wind's blowing in, we want to adjust our sights lower, even though we like to drive the baseball in the air. If we're hitting a bunch of, you call them seven flights or, you know, 25, 30-degree launch angles, you're going to make a lot of hard outs and be very frustrated. So it, to me, it's just an excuse to, to transfer the blame of your failure to the umpire because of the zone expansion or to, um, now sometimes it's crap, right? But sometimes we've got to make our adjustments. And I think we can do the same thing with the weather. So if it's 35 degrees, you know, the ball is going to travel, I think I read three feet less for every 10 degrees colder it is past like 200 or 250 feet. Um, you know, if you go to warmer weather states, you can see that. So if you hit a ball, you know, uh, if it's 35 degrees, and you hit a ball 300 feet. If it was 75 degrees, which is 40 degrees hotter, it should go about 12 feet further, right? So um, now that's in a vacuum, right? Um, so yeah, I think 
understanding that I'm gonna hit some hard flyouts when it's colder or when it's windier, I've got to do a good job of changing my timing or my approach so that I've got lower hard contacts. Right, so maybe you start aiming for the top part of the ball, right? Yeah, yeah, it's whatever your external cue is, absolutely right. Like whether it's on the field, whether it's later rhythm, or whether it's on the baseball, yeah, those are three different types of, you know, of cueing or timing. What do you do during the game as a hitting coach? Uh, stand at first base and watch them have fun. <laughs> you know, we, we try to communicate, uh, you know, with our base runners, uh, you know, good time and good things to do, bad things to do. Uh, but generally speaking with our hitters, they're making the, most of the adjustments in game. You know, if we train them properly, you know, th they're, they're ready to go. If they're not ready to go in the game, we probably haven't trained them properly or they're just a little bit off mentally that day. So, um, you know, for me, game day should be theirs. Uh, it's as it, I'm sure it is for many, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine to go to travel ball games and watch, uh, well, I went to, this is another, a better example. Uh, during the quarantine, I went to watch uh, our neighbor's kids, two different teams play baseball. And there's a one team whose coach is positive and energetic and just rooting the kids on. And you got this, you know, win this one. And then the other team's coaches are like sitting on buckets on the first baseline and showing the kid the exact move that he needs to make, uh, you know, to hit, to hit this next pitch or even worse, like telling him what he just did wrong in the last pitch. Um, and it's like a teaching point every single pitch. So it's probably pretty tough as a 20 year old to have success in that environment, let alone as a, an eight or 10 year old. Right, right. So yeah, I would say we do very little on game days compared to what we do in practice. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. Um, I, I completely agree with the, the positive mindset of, of coaching kids and, um, and it's, it shows, you know, you picking up on that shows how important it is to you to, to be positive with them. Um, lastly, the thing I wanted to get into and, and kind of pick your brain about because you've been coaching longer than me is, is game planning. You know, you have weekend series, you guys are in the MAC conference, um, good baseball conference, division one baseball. So you're facing some good arms. How do you prepare your guys going in to a series. I know you can't give away, you know, specific details of, of pitchers you face or anything, but maybe just a, a generic overview. Yeah, great question. Uh, so we accumulate as much information as we can and, you know, you get scouting reports from other teams if you can. And, you know, we use Synergy for resources as well, uh, which of course is the, the video uh, technology where you get uh, to slice things up about any way you want with, uh, the opposing team or even your own team for those that don't know what synergy is um, it's an awesome resource so we take those resources <clears throat> we, we try to make it as digestible as possible in what is presented to our players so we try to make it simple and you know if, if a guy is uh, if we know on his report that he's you know 86 to 90 uh, you know I've got to pay attention to okay is that 86 to 90 a year ago and mm -hmm. we haven't yet yeah. uh, film or in scouting report because he might be 90 94 and that happens and that could be frustrating for a player so you really try to uh, analyze everything you can to give the right and the best information to your guys and then we try and make it uh, you know really sim simple in terms of uh, things to focus on with those guys uh, what those pitchers often try to do to hitters and pitchers have they have general profiles um, of terms of you know where their fastballs miss, where they're trying to command fastballs. Uh, we try to evaluate quality of fastball command. 
Uh, we're trying to understand the shapes of breaking balls and the speed, of course, uh, but understanding the command of that pitch and how much respect we have to give that pitch. And you know, every hitter in our lineup might have a little bit different approach that is more our hitter oriented than their pitcher, because I think it's more important to play to your own strengths than to the other players' weaknesses. But there usually has to be some type of a, a met, you know, a meshing uh, of the two. Uh, for example, our hitters, you know, we've got to teach our hitters, and they've got to understand, you know, being, you know, an up five runs in the seventh inning and nobody on base is very, very different in terms of how you're going to get pitched, even as a seven-hole hitter, than with second and third and two outs in a tie ball game in the, you know, after the fourth inning. So. Um, at those times, you have to know whether you're looking for what you're looking for or you're looking for what he's trying to do. And so I think we have to teach our guys how to do that. That way it's simple on game day of how to use the information. Uh, one of the things we're going to do this fall differently is to uh, have super quality scouting reports of our own pitchers and to use our three-game series we're going to have this weekend or this fall on weekends uh, as better training for understanding the pitchers you're facing and then how to work through those approaches and what your strengths are and, um, you know, how to eliminate pitches based upon what he's doing that day and things like that. So I think more training and practice uh, will, will get us even better at utilizing those. One of my buddies uh, the other day was telling me about uh, the story of, of Derek Jeter. Um, and, you know, he'd, he'd be the leadoff guy and, after after he would get out or whatnot, he'd always come back to the dugout and say to all his teammates, you know, this guy's got nothing. Like, fastball straight as an arrow. Like, changeup doesn't move much. Curveball is pretty like, – not, not a sharp break. And it made, made, it made us realize how contagious hitting is and how he, yeah. he set the tone for the rest of his teammates. Because I've been in a situation before where a guy comes back to the dugout and he's been, you know, good luck. Good luck with that. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, whoa, whoa, like his ball's moving six inches, like on fastball, changeups disappearing. Um, do you have, it, it, if I guess for some of your better hitters, do you have conversations with them of, of giving that confidence off to everyone else in the lineup? Because I'm sure as a hitting coach, A, you're not, you're not in the box, so you can't see, but also it may, it, since it's coming from a player to other players, maybe it has a bigger impact. Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on. In game, the contagiousness of our players' energy, body language, um, has, a, has probably an even bigger impact on their teammates' success than whatever the result was. So how they come back from making an out and what they communicate uh, or if they blow by their teammate and – you know, don't say anything to them and are just super focused on themselves. Like that's going to happen. Kids get really frustrated. Major leaguers get really frustrated. Some kids want to talk less. Some kids want to know less coming up because they know what they're focused on and they don't want their last thought to be whatever the guy before them was. So I think it's a, an evolution for us of teaching our guys, <clears throat> uh, you know, how to communicate what that body language can or should look like that communication can be a good thing. And if your teammate is communicating to you, that it's important to listen to him. And then we've got to be able to process, you know, hey, I don't need that thought right now. I'm focused on what I'm focused on. Or, wow, that's, <clears throat> that's really good information. I probably need that for this at bat. So it's going to vary from kid to kid. Um, 
and just raising the awareness of the guys of how it looks when it's going well and how it looks and feels when it's not going well is probably the best, I think, general way for us to talk about that with our guys. Awesome. That's good stuff. Justin, uh, I could talk kidding with you all day, man. I've, I've learned a lot just, just by recording this, and I'm going to go back and listen to it even a little bit later on, pick up on some more nuggets. Um, but I appreciate you coming on because I know as a hitting coach in, in college baseball, you, you've, you wear a lot of hats. And you got the recruiting aspect, you got the hitting aspect, you know, academic stuff too, I'm sure, field stuff. So we really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, I've really enjoyed the podcast you put together. I appreciate you. Let me be part of it. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.